Hello everyone, this is, my name. this is Simon from For Every Human, just a friendly local science communicator, well locals in absurd context on the internet, but whatever, local science communicator. I'm driving home from work and I'm just thinking about things and I might make a habit of doing this, but this is my, yes it wants another first, this is my first podcast, so I'm just going to think and talk about things and if I sound like I'm bloviating, I absolutely am. The civilization is kind of absurd. When you know enough about life, going back to the beginning of life and the way that animals evolved and grew from inorganic chemical soup to, uh, to the life that we have in front of us today, it's... Let me put this to you another way. The last time you were in a shopping center, did you stop and think about how insane the concept was? Less than a hundred thousand years ago, we weren't really, we were humans, but it was new. And we were still hunting our dinners and hunting for tubers, it's called, it's called a hunter-gatherer society, and living in caves and trying to protect our young, giant-headed, intelligent young from the dangers of the world around us and, you know, tigers and other predators and things like that. And if we're in the right place, part of the world, hunting mammoths and... <clears throat> all the megafauna that used to exist back in the day. Um, there's, you know, there, when Aboriginal Australia's reached, uh, when Ab- Aboriginal reached Australia 60-odd thousand years ago, although there's evidence suggesting it might be quite a bit older than that, there were wombats the size of all those. So we lived in a very odd world. And now we're here. And my thoughts always drift to how in the name of, you know, expletive removed did we get to this place? How did we get to shoes stores and camping stores and four different brands of tinned tomatoes that people are fighting over at the moment and and things like that. I mean, obviously there's a progression. I mean, you look at the start of civilization, you get to this point, there are things you can point to like the emergence of um, consumerist culture in the modern era and the emergence of capitalism in the last two to three hundred years, although it's been this undercurrent of capitalism, of, of economics throughout most of human history. So you can, if you find enough point, points on the dial, you can find out how we got from there to here, but it is still an absurdist concept. And... I just find that very interesting. Like, sentience, our ability to think, our ability to examine the world around us and, and think about things is relatively new. I mean, there, was, there are species in the planet that have been around for tens and twenties and thirty million years. I mean, great white sharks are almost physically friggin' identical to what they were like during the Jurassic, for Christ's sake. And that was like, you know, 180, 200 million years ago. All they've gotten is a bit smaller, like Megalodon, which is the ancient shark, is not that much different from Great Whites right now. It's just 15 times larger, probably making that up. It's quite a bit larger. So, there's always this change over time. Don't even get me started on time. Time's this weird thing that I love to rant about, but I'm not going to talk about it here because it's really complicated. <sighs> this is just travel thoughts. Um, so, yeah. What, what mechanism in our brain does 
having a couple of different shoe stores fulfill for us that these things stick around? Or is it what shortcut into our psychology does it present that these things can force a wedge into and exist? And I find it interesting because humans have evolved to... Well, let me tell you a bit of a story. The, when we were apes, when we were, you know, monkeys, um, we were in trees. We came... The current, the current theory is that we came down from the trees and when you're standing... And then when you're coming down from the trees, in order to see over the tall grass to see predators, you need to start standing on your hind legs, standing upright. This leaves our hands free to be able to use tools and with increased tool use comes increase, an exponential increase in brain size and function. So as we're using more tools, as we're using rocks to crack open fruit with hard shells and sticks to twirl ants out of a nest, things like that, our brains are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you add in the ability to chew and consume starchy vegetables, and that, that glucose fuel for, our, fuel for our brains just goes gangbusters, and then suddenly we're absolutely brilliant. But we're having, our brains are big, and our skulls had to get bigger to accommodate it. So as a result, this monkey species that learned how to stand up has, is having progressively bigger-headed children, and that must have been agonizing for them. So of course, the only ones of those society, as the brains got bigger and the big heads got bigger, the only individuals of that society that survived were the ones where they were born a bit earlier, before the head got so big. Now that's the reason why human babies are born so damned undeveloped, because we have to. If we're born at term, we would kill, the mother and child would die in childbirth. Anyway, there's more reasons than that. That's just a simpler explanation of it. So in order, so now what we're doing is now we're these really clever apes. We're starting to cook our food. We're starting to hunt animals and other things like that. And we have these giant-headed, defenseless babies, but they're really, really smart. But they take a long time to get to where they can look after themselves. Most animals within horses, within minutes, can stand up and walk around. So humans way undeveloped so evolution has to compensate now you have certain societies where they were better at looking after these giant headed babies more cohesive societies more cohesive groups so these groups had a high evolutionary success because when you're looking after the babies more more likely to reach adulthood there's going to be more of you you're going to be more successful so societies that survived tended to select for groups that looked after each other a bit more and then they just went on and on and on. Human society, all we have this whole suite of inbuilt evolutionary traits to make us form societies, to make us form communities. And it, the reason that that's meant to happen is to protect our giant-headed babies. Of course, that was the beginning. Now, there's other reasons, and I won't go into that, but this is the simple version. So we now have these communal groups. We now have these societies where humans naturally come together. Humans are not a predatory animal. We're omnivorous, we eat whatever we can find. We will hunt, but we don't have to. Now, like, we are a communal species. We are groups, we work together. So anyone that tries to tell you that, you know, alpha, alpha dog and survival of the fittest and 
and the strength of the the, the leader the strength should be the defining quality they're all full of you know proverbial and don't listen to it humans are a communal species such to the point actually that some research had been done since facebook was invented showing that we actually have a maximum number of friends and acquaintances now this is probably wrong because i can't quite remember and i'm driving and i can't look it up i think the number's 140 it might be 114 something like that and that number is the most amount of people you can have in your life before you start forgetting social information and that's come about since facebook so we have and ironically or interestingly that's about the right size for a human village so we form communities we've evolved to deal with about 120 130 people around us and we form groups you know i've completely forgotten where i was going with this yeah, so society grows up as a function of us having these groups. Now we can be blindsided. If you've ever walked into a supermarket, and I know I've worked retail for so long now, I, I can't even remember, like you'll notice all the delicious sugary thing drinks are at the front. The specials, the impulse buys are right next to the counter, like the gum or the meat sticks or things like that. They're there to be, it's called an impulse buy. It takes advantage of you not really paying attention. You're at the point of sale. It's really easy to grab one and then you tuck it down. So that takes advantage of short circuits in your psychology of simplicity. Your brain is always looking for simple, easy food because in nature, it's really hard to get simple, easy food. So yeah, there's more to that, but I won't go into it. Just uh, anyway next time you're at the supermarket look at the this kids the kids cereal like the uh not wheat bix what are the ones i'm thinking of cocoa pops rice bubbles frosties uh the one with the bird fruit loops i think there's another couple as well any with the cartoon characters you'll notice their big anime eyes are all looking down because when they're looking down they're making eye contact with children and when you make eye contact with children, you provoke an emotional response, even if the object is inanimate. That makes the children want them. And then they apply emotional pressure to their parents. So this is one of the few ways in which you're manipulated psychologically into spending money. Now our consumerist capitalist culture is really good at manipulating you into spending money because it needs you to. It needs you to spend more than you have. It needs you to want the next generation of phone. It needs you to need the most expensive shoes or the best handbag or the best wallet. I'm really truncating my list here, but I'm sure there are thousands of other things. So it needs you to do that because that's profit. That's what moves things in our society. But think about the luxury industry. It couldn't be less relevant to our society. It's luxury. It's by definition irrelevant. But there are, there are more people with more money now buying Lamborghinis and TVs the size of bloody soccer fields than there have been in any period in the modern era. Of course, in all history. So there's a whole lot of really, really wealthy people. But inequality is also really high. And now I'm delving into a political rant and I'll try and bring myself back from that. Anyway, so we have this society where you have all these evolved tendencies that make you form societies to look after your giant-headed babies. Interestingly enough, when you see a, a baby, and it doesn't have to be a human baby, 
most people go, oh, look at that. That could be dogs, cats, wombats, birds. Pick something that is an evolved reflex to make you care for your infant children. Okay? Yeah, that's terrifying because if you're being pushed to do that, what's the alternative? So sharks will fight and kill each other in utero. <laughs> um, male crocodiles will eat their young, which is why they abandon them as soon as, uh, as soon as they've uh, fertilized the eggs and the females lay, they abandon it because they will eat the young. Things like that. Um, so we have this inbuilt thing to go, oh, isn't that cute? Oh my God, that's so cute. That's an evolved response. I forget the name of it, it's actually a thing. All of your emotions serve an, evo an, an, an evolutionary need. Uh, fear keeps you alive. Fear's the easy one. And you actually fear bypasses most of your high level reasoning skills in your brain, which is why fear undercuts us. And this is why we see with all the corona stuff, COVID stuff going on, people going batshit crazy. Uh, sorry, going crazy, gotta stop swearing. Then you've got anger. Anger helps you defend yourself. Sadness. Sadness makes people see that crying is an evolved response to make people see that you're not okay. Like, how cool is that? You have a mechanism in your body that when you're not doing well, when you're so sad that you cry, crying is a visible sign to the community around you that you're not okay. Like, that is amazing. So sadness serves a purpose. Happiness serves a purpose because it makes you share your emotions. It makes you content. Content, so it makes you, it's a pleasurable thing. Anything pleasurable is a reward from your brain for doing the right thing. Well, for not always the right thing, but for doing, the, doing things, yeah? Even guilt has an important evolutionary role to play because with, like with guilt, when you do something wrong and you feel guilty, you're less likely to do it again. So it makes society more coherent as a whole. The one that doesn't, one where it's a lot more complicated is shame. Shame is a relatively not particularly well understood emotion. And there's been a lot of work recently and I thoroughly recommend anyone to read an American author. Her name is Brene Brown. She is fascinating. She's been on Oprah a whole bunch of times. But she talks about shame in a way that no one else has. Relative, really new stuff, and it's fantastic stuff. I love it. It's great. Shame doesn't really have an evolutionary place. If you're someone, if growing up, you're someone who experiences more shame than guilt, so rather than feeling guilt about something, you feel shame about something. If you're like that, you're 10 times more likely to become an addict. So shame is something we don't really understand. But anyway, I'm massively off topic here. Not that I really had a topic to begin with. Anyway, so we have all these evolved responses and our society takes advantage of a lot of those evolved responses. Especially with mercantilism. So buying things, your brain, it short circuits it. The print media does it too. If you ever look at a new, like, a, let's let's pull the Murdoch Empire out because it's not hard to find one of their examples of this, where they have been inflammatory, xenophobic, creating fear. 
creating doubt, creating the unknown. So they don't come out and blatantly say it, but how many op-eds or pieces have there been about fear of foreigners coming in and taking your jobs? So foreigners aren't going to come and steal your jobs, but you, when, when's the last time you didn't see that narrative? Like it's been around for fucking for, for a long time. That's another thing. Fear is a powerful motivator. Fear is a very powerful motivator. And it makes you do things unconsciously. It automatically triggers part of your brain. So media uses fear a lot to drive sales, to drive clicks, things like that. Clickbait, where it comes from. So... There's all these different ways in which our our default psychology is influenced by the society around us. And I don't think, I could be wrong, there could be, I think at times there's been people in societies that have gone out, have identified sort of weak spots in human thinking and gone out of their way to manipulate that. I definitely think that's happened probably not using those words probably using different psychologies but that's what's happened and but there's no grand I mean I'm, I'm edging close to things like the Illuminati and stuff like that and huge conspiracy theories I don't buy it I don't buy that there's some big cabal capitalistic organisation at the top of the food chain that's directing capitalism to, to turn our minds to mush no. I think that over time and given the economic structures that have existed since the um, since the Industrial Revolution, people have found ways to drive wedges in between us. Like wedge issues is a huge thing. Watch during an election. Watch what happens. The politicians and the media and ads for those politicians will advertise wedge issues where it's like abortion is a big one same-sex marriage is a big one some people 50% are for it 50% against it it's a huge wedge issue it divides people politics wants to divide people and then it wants to bring people together so that's a whole other conversation so essentially what I'm saying in the long run is we are human When you're born, you are saddled with all of these inbuilt processes that have been handed to you down from your ancestors via evolution. And what's important to know is that you aren't necessarily ever going to be able to see those default processes. Like it may you may never do it because they're inbuilt. You can't do anything about them. Like, let me put this another way. And those of you who drive, think about the last time you did a com- your commute. Now, this is a really bad time to talk about that because no one's done their commute for a while. I'm doing mine now. Think about it. When's the last time you paid attention to everything? Driving down your street. When's the last time you paid absolute high-focused attention to, this, to the landscape around you and the different things that are there every single day that you see every single day? After a while, your pattern recognition brain stops remembering, that stops paying attention. Because it doesn't need to. It's done it so many times, it doesn't need to do it again. It's all similar. It's all the same thing. So after a while, you don't even use it. I mean, I know people, and I've done it myself, if you're deep in thought, you drive home, you don't remember it. You won't asleep, 
<clears throat> and you were paying attention, you weren't driving dangerously, maybe a little less focused, but you weren't paying, your brain wasn't paying as much attention, so it wasn't laying down short-term memory. Because what's the point? You've done it a thousand times before. It's highly repetitive behavior. And most people don't even aware of this. Most people don't even notice that this is happening. They get stuck in this 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 rut and, and, and so on and so forth. So if if I'm running out of words now. <laughs> but I've gone pretty far on just an idle thought to, to start this off with. Um <laughs> So what we're called talking now is what we're talking about now. We've moved on from from society. We're talking about critical thinking. That's what it's called. Is the ability to judge yourself without autopiloting, without emotional thinking, because we're wired, we're defaulted, we default to emotional thinking. Um, when people vote, when people choose politicians, when people like vote for policy and look at and judge politicians, they don't do it logically. They do it emotionally. You think, most humans think emotionally because it's quicker. Um, your evolved psychology is not, was not designed to debate, you know, healthcare. It was designed to not get eaten by tigers. So your emotional thought processes are faster and more responsive. When you're afraid, when you have a start, when you're startled, how many of you have ever been startled by something and you've already started moving and you've already moved before you consciously recognize what's happened. That's autopilot, that's emotional thinking. We can do critical thinking, constant critical thinking, but dang, it's hard. It's hard work. We're not designed to do it. Short short bursts, absolutely. But how many times have you been absolutely mindful all the time? Have you spent an entire day being absolutely mindful of everything that you're doing? absolutely thinking clearly about everything no emotional thinking no autopilot everything is a deliberate decisive act a little bit this way how many of you are off how many of you starting to put on weight because you're bored enough that you're eating constantly you know you're having to say this i'm not hungry i'm bored i'm not hungry i'm bored i'm not hungry i'm bored that's an autopilot thing you know food gives you a dopamine response so it's always going to be there for you but that's autopilot if you were thinking critically, you would go, well, hang on, no, I have had enough nutrition for myself today. I don't need more. Why am I doing this? But that doesn't work for us. We think emotionally. So, something to think about, that's for sure. I've meandered quite a bit here, but hopefully someone finds this interesting. I'm going to try and do things like this more often. Because um, I get, I get, look, look, let me be honest with you, I get pretty bored. I'm a scientist. I'm a science communicator. I mean, I was an exploration geologist for a while, um, but that went belly up. I was an energy oil and gas geologist, and um, the, that industry is basically dead because of, you know, climate change. Well, it has to be. If we dug up and burnt all of the remaining oil and coal in the, in the ground, we would be absolutely... That would be disastrous. So I work in a supermarket, and it doesn't, it doesn't fill all my time. So yeah, thank you for listening. My name's Simon, I'm a science communicator. I am testing my wings out into different ways of doing this sort of thing. And I hope you found my highly rambling thoughts interesting. Thank you.